FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 410 of the podcast that goes Nick. Nicked. I'm your host, Jason. You calm down and go to the picnic. <laughs> and this is a flashback episode. It's going to be our Halloween special, Snicked and Treat, uh, 1992 version. Yeah, so I'm um, going to roll up a lot of Halloween type comics, though none of them actually came out <laughs> for Halloween in 92. They were all mostly in the summer of 92, but. You know, close enough. But the content of all these 1992 Wolverine appearances, you know, have some some Halloween themes. You know, we got wizards and demons and monsters and aliens and werewolves. Oh my! <laughs> you know, and in all these stories, and so there's definitely a lot to kind of tie into the, the spooky uh, and and sometimes the kooky. Um, in these issues, and so that's what we're going to cover. Um, as I kind of talked about in the last flashback episode, um, you know, kind of clumping more stuff together than I might normally. Uh, for example, I think I originally had this episode broken into three episodes, like when I was originally looking at stuff, but in an effort to help some timetables match up so I can talk about Executioner's Song with um, Grant from the Cable Guide and Dan and Georgie from the Excalibur Roads and hopefully that will still play out as planned um, you know condensing some stuff and you know I promise that this won't then be a three hour episode I'll condense some of my my content and commentary as well um, you know so that this can be hopefully it'll still be a nice a nice long-ish episode, but not so overbearingly long that you're like, eh, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> Those, you know, it's fine. If you need to press pause because your commute is over or you're done working out or whatever you whatever you do when you're listening to this, um, <laughs> you know, you know, listen as you will, right? Anyway, enough of that. Uh, we're going to talk about some comics because that's what, that's what we're here to do. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is Deathlock number 14. Now, Wolverine is barely in this. In fact, um, he's just in a cameo <laughs> of a flashback. Um, I don't remember exactly what issues they are. I meant to look that up and I forgot. But, you know, we talked about some Deathlock issues on a previous episode where Wolverine was in a story with the Thing and some other characters that was helping Deathlock fight like this... Uh, these other, this guy who was basically collecting cyborgs. Um, shoot, I don't know if I have that. If I can find it real fast, I will. Otherwise, I won't worry about it. Let me see what's in my notes. I got my handy dandy notebook out. Um, it would have been after that episode. And after the shield episode, I believe. Uh, I've been with the damage control. 
No. She-Hulk, maybe. Excalibur. Quasar. No, this is all Infinity Gauntlet stuff. I think it was before that, so it may be in the other notebook. But, anyway, there was a story where Deathlock was, um, trying to fight this guy who ended up, he had, like, Ultron and all these other dudes, all these other cyborgs he had, uh, gathered together, and you know, Wolverine was one of the guys that helped fight him off for reasons I don't entirely remember why Wolverine got involved, but, uh, oh, yeah, it was Deathlock number four and five that Wolverine was in. Um, so anyway, there's a, there's a callback to that in this episode, there's a callback to that in issue 14. So, I probably spent more on talking about that than I did uh, looking at the issue. Uh, <laughs> but Deathlock 14 is uh, by writer Dwayne McDuffie, art by Mike Manley, and I feel like that happened to us last time too, and I'll get to that in a second, what I mean by that. Uh, letters by Ken Lopez, colors by Gregory Wright, and the cover is, I think, it's either by Manley or Cohen. Uh, I thought I saw a signature. No, I can't find it. So, I'm not actually sure if it's Mike Manley or Dennis Cohen. But, um, it's okay. It's Deathlock with his back to us in a graveyard fighting a giant, like, trash monster. Like a slimy monster. It, it looks okay. So, this is part of the biohazard agenda. It's actually part three of four of the biohazard agenda. And so... I won't get into all of that, but basically what happens in this one is we get a quick summary of our story so far, which includes a pick of Wolverine from uh, the last time we were there. Uh, basically, the brain of the previous Deathlock, Colonel John Kelly, was disposed of, but the nanotech nutrient fluid that helped, like, repair and heal the cyborg turned it into a living organism that can retain the memories of whatever it eats. So it's going around, at first it starts eating some animals from the junkyard, like a rat and a cat, and then it eventually goes on and eats people, and it has this nagging hole in its memory. So it grows into this creature called Biohazard, which is a big, gross dump monster, and it's wanting to complete its own memories, and they find out by eating a shield agent <laughs> that it's stored in the Deathlock uh, programming. So it attacks Deathlock at his family's home, where he's recently returned. And that's really all that happens in this one. Now, the issues... So parts 1 and 2 and parts 4 are actually really good. They're also drawn by Dennis Cohen. And so, Mike Manley is a fine artist. Uh, he does some Darkhawk and maybe a couple of Punisher fill-ins around this time. And um, may have done some like the uh, adjective with Spider-Man, but I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Um... He's a fine artist, but part of the reason this Deathlock work, book works better than maybe it should is how interesting Cohen's kind of sketchy, scratchy art is for it. Um, you know, Grant from The Cable Guy, which you should go listen to if you're not, uh, you know, The Cable Guy on The Cable Guide, um, was referring to, uh, we've actually been having a little banter on Twitter back and forth about Mark Pacella. He uh, he made a comparison of Pacella to to Cohen on this '90s Deathlock series about how it's kind of an unfinished, undeveloped style. I think 
I think Cohen's is probably more intentionally. I agree that Pacella was growing into his style. I think Cohen is more of a abstract artist, and I, I, I quote unquote challenge because it was all in good fun. Because we we are pretty good friends and like each other quite a bit. Um, but I, I kind of challenged Grant to you know close his eyes and imagine those Pacella X-Force issues with Cohen's pencils and I think it would have been similar in tone to that really rad X-Force issue we got I think in number 8 by Mignola um, you know not quite you know I, I don't think you know, most artists are not quite up to Mignola's level but um, but it would have been the same similar tone similar thing but anyway that's really neither here nor there for Wolverine or the podcast that goes Nick. Just something I thought of when I was looking through this. Um, so the story, this biohazard agenda overall is the story of Deathlock coming home and kind of the how do we do this? You know, now he's back with his family, but he's in this cyborg body. And so he has his, he has his personality, his memories, but he doesn't look the same, right? Um, and how do his wife and child react to that? How do they make their family unit work? All oh, that stuff's really interesting. And the biohazard guy, and as far as being like a gross monster for you know for our Halloween episode, is cool. There's a there's a part where he actually vomits himself down. Like all right, so they're on the second floor and they make a hole, and so. And then Deathlock jumps down to the first floor to save like his sister-in-law or protect his sister-in-law. And Biohazard is on the second floor looking down the hole and like bends over and literally throws himself up out of his mouth and reforms like on the bottom and then pulls his mouth like that. It's, it's a really grotesque image. And, you know, Manly does a pretty good job. Like I said, Manly, I'm not swagging off on Manly. He does fine. It's just I feel like even that in that cyborg story as well, we had, like, we just happened to catch the issues where Cohen took a break. <laughs> and it's just unfortunately because cause he made that book. I mean, McDuffie's writing is good-ish. It's kind of up and down, actually. You know, because, um, like, the Ghost Rider story was kind of meh. But and when he delves into, like, Deathlock struggling, trying to refine, he's on a quest to, like, find his original body and, like, restore it. And, you know, that's part of this as well. Um, anyway, all that stuff's really interesting. And then, but the biohazard thing, which is kind of okay. The idea of, like, him wanting, like, his yearning to fill in the holes in his memory by, and so that's why he eats everything, <laughs> is to try to gain those memories back, and why he wants to eat Deathlock is to get, get his life back, so to speak. And then there's even a part where he finds his family, you know, and there's like a parallel, right? Deathlock, our Deathlock, um, Michael Collins, is um, trying to reintegrate with his family in this weird situation. And this guy, John Kelly, Biohazard, with John Kelly's memories, um, eventually finds his family. And his idea is if he just eats and absorbs them, they can be together forever. So it's definitely a different kind of take. And he, I don't think he necessarily wants to hurt them. He just he can't think it through as much of, his, of a living brain like Krang than he is. He just can't quite figure it out. Uh, anyway, but they eventually trap Biohazard and his spawn, which happens in Chapter 4. And he's like adamantium chemical barrels. Um, and, you know, that's that. And there's this really touching scene at the end. But none of that's in this issue. So I think what I'm trying to say 
is I really enjoyed the Biohazard Agenda story arc overall. But this issue was more of just the fight fight and was not quite as good. It wasn't as much of the family drama. Um, it was it was really just more of the look at this Deathlock fight, the gross monster, which has its merits. But whereas I would have maybe given the other issues with the Cohen art five out of six claws, I'm only going to give this one four out of six claws, which is still, like I said, still pretty good. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because I didn't think I really liked 90s Deathlock because I read it a little bit when I was younger and didn't really care for it. Um, I tried the, the issues with Ghost Rider and Punisher, and I was wondering how I'd feel coming back to it, and those issues I still don't really like. And so, so the volume overall, you know, through these first 15 issues that I've read this time around, um, it's kind of up and down, but when it's good, it's really good. Um, and this issue is pretty good. So anyway, I actually spent way more time on that than I intended to. Um, so I promised you some wizards, and next up is going to be Doctor Strange number 41. So, Doctor Strange number 41 is one of the stories that's between Infinity Gauntlet tie-ins and Infinity War tie-ins. And um, it's going to be written by Roy Thomas and art by Jeff Isherwood, who's on his second or third uh, issue on the book. I don't really know that name, but it's a pretty good artist for, for 90s Marvel. Um, anyway, there's a co-plot credit to Jean-Marc Lafissier. I think I said that right. Um, letters by Pat Brousseau and colors by George Rusis. Um, and the cover is by Isherwood. And it's Wolverine in the forefront, his claws coming up to the top right-hand corner. So he's basically like cutting diagonally across the corner. He's in really bold inks, and he's coming right at the the point of view, like to the reader. And he's fighting some demons, and then back behind him, Doctor Strange is also fighting some demons. It's a really pretty good cover. I actually like it quite a bit. Um, like I said, not real familiar with this Isherwood guy. Um, but on the couple of issues I've read on the, his Doctor Strange run so far, really enjoying him. I think he's a really good artist. Um, so, basically, in this issue, uh, Wolverine literally claws his way into the basement of the Sanctum Sanctorum and eviscerates Doctor Strange and Clea in their sleep. Luckily, though, Doctor Strange had levitated them at the last moment, so Wolverine only destroyed the sheets. Using the eye of Agamotto, Strange sees that Wolverine is possessed by the Nagari. Remember them from an old X-Men story, like back in the Claremont, I mean, it was right on the edge of, like, the Cochrane Burn era. I don't remember exactly who drew it, but they, uh, they had all the, like, the, um... Oh, wait, was that the same one as the Kitty Pride Christmas story? That would have been Cochrane. Um, they had, like, the little obelisk or whatever, out, like, out in the woods. I think that was the same one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and, uh, Wolfie is warded from magic spells. So Strange has to use martial arts to delay him until he can mortally stab him with a silver blade knowing that he will heal because he's had a little bit of exposure to Wolverine before but the spirit will be exercised so the Nagari possession will be exercised by the silver blade that's an old typical, old magic trope right that silver hurts demons and stuff um 
when he, Doctor Strange catches the departing spirit, which is one of the undying ones. So there's this weird like collaboration between the undying ones and the Nagari. Um, Strange and Wolverine go to the undying one dimension to slaughter demons and close the portal with a Gaia crystal. Then they go home and drink 12th century Prussian brandy. And that's, I mean, there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot that happens. Well, no, it's not really a lot plot-wise. <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of, of time spent in the undying dimension, which is pretty fun. Um, so the art's really good. The story's pretty good. Um, I enjoyed this issue uh, pretty well. Um, issue Woods Wolverine looks nice. Um, kind of has a... Almost a Tex, almost like if Tex and Gene Colan, like got together and did a jam session. Isher Woods art reminds. There's definitely some, and I mean good Gene Colan. Uh, I know there were times by this point in the '90s that some of his art was not quite as interesting. It was just kind of messy. But but you know, take good Gene Colan, but some of the thickness and grittiness, like in the inks of Martishera and that's kind of what Isherwood reminds me of. Um, the fun part here where, where Wolverine's creaking up the stairs and he's about to, to stab or try to murder uh, Doctor Strange and Clea and they're sweet and he swats a, a sprite away <laughs> like a little butterfly fairy and that's fun. And there's like a little swat as he does it and then he snicks and him cutting through the sheets is a pretty gnarly panel. Um, that all looks good. And then, you know, of course, seeing Doctor Strange and Wolverine kind of try to fight looks good. There's a funny scene because Doctor Strange is, is shirtless in long pajama pants, but then the, uh, his cloak of levitation, like, joins him. So he's got, like, his big Doctor Strange cloak on, but no shirt. And then he's, like, striped, blue and white striped pajama pants, which is really funny because I often compare... Um, this era of Doctor Strange to wearing magic pajamas. Though by this point, I think he's more in like a shirt and pants and not like a big onesie um, <laughs> with footy pajamas. Um, anyway, just, it made me laugh. Not that anyone ever heard that, but um, they're not creative. All you guys have heard it because, you know, that's what you do. Um, anyway, yeah, so there's some fun stuff where they they go into the dimension, they fight the demons, and uh, they get, like, thrown in this, like, slime, and Wolverine gets possessed, and, you know, kind of can barely hold on to his humanity. There's a, you know, uh, Roy Thomas gets to kind of commentate on that a little bit, right? Um, the idea that, that, you know, he's animal, possessed by demon, and gives into the rage. And the part where he tries to snick through the cloak, and uh, uh, the cloak, like, you know, flies off. Um, that's pretty cool. And he gets, like, these almost Weapon x bone spikes that come out of him at the height of his possession. And then so Doctor Strange is able to help him. Um, and they, uh, they, they go home. And, uh, yeah, Wolverine's happy to to share some some fine aged alcohol uh, with, with Doctor Strange and Clea. Now, overall, a pretty fun issue with really good art. Um, I'm going to give Doctor Strange 41 a very solid 4 out of 6 claws. 
All right. So moving right along. I would definitely recommend that. And the, you know, Doctor Strange, the 90s series, is another one that was kind of up and down. You know, uh, the Jackson guy's art was pretty good early on. Um, there's some good stuff, and there's some stuff that, I don't know, I might like more, like, once I get there from my 70s and 80s reading, but it just didn't really connect to me all of it, but when it's good, it's also pretty good. Um, Alright, so we're probably going to spend most of our time on this next couple issues, uh, which is going to be, you know, the lead-up and then the X-Men crossover with the Ghost Rider. Um, that happened in the 90s, right, as Jim Lee was not quite done with the book. We'll have one more story arc after this uh, with Jim Lee before he uh, leaves and goes to uh, do Wildcats at Image. Um, X-Men number 8 is an issue that I have probably read a hundred times, and I love it. Like, it's, it's up there, is it? If nothing else, I mean, not, not, well, we'll find out. It's not just nostalgia, because I, I still enjoyed it quite a bit this time around. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, but I don't know, this is just, it's a downtime issue in the best way, which, you know, X-Men are good at, at downtime issues when, you know, when, when we have good writers, right? Claremont always had really good downtime issues. This is another one. This is a great kind of, because there's lots of action. There's no bad guys. Right, when there's there's still action, lots of drama. Um, it's just it's a really good issue. So let's get into it. Um, X Men number eight, Tooth and Claw, and the credits are Jim Lee does plot and pencils. Scott Lobdell does the script. Uh, Jim Lee and Art T Bear do the finishes, so the inks I'm assuming. Um, Joe Rosas does the colors. Tom Orzakowski does the letters. And we have on the cover Gambit versus Bishop. Enough said. Special appearance by Ghost Rider. So we have um, Bishop standing over Gambit and Rogue running to his side. It, it appears that Bishop has either just blasted and or shot Gambit. He's got a smoking shotgun, but he's also got a glowing fist in his other hand. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a great cover. Uh, and then we have Ghost Rider in the bottom right corner. I guess a close-up on his face. Um, it's a very intriguing cover, if you were collecting at the time, because over in Uncanny... We had just been, we had been introduced to Bishop a few months back, and we had that portal story, and then we come back and we get like kind of a deep dive into Bishop that sets up like the idea of the traitor and the witness and all that fun stuff, and you know we know the witness is LeBeau, um, when you know Remy LeBeau and Gambit you know, an older gamut in the future. And we find that, that that video in the tunnel, right, when he's chasing Fitzroy and he finds out, finds a videotape of Gene uh, being killed by the traitor and talking about how all the X-Men were killed by one of their own, someone they trusted. And so Bishop, we get that backstory of Bishop. And then we get the story where he is kind of placed under Storm's wing and he goes out in the town and he finds some some mutants from his timeline and 
kind of fights, but it causes a bunch of collateral damage and has to, you know, kind of fess up that maybe his methods are not the best, but so struggling because, you know, he's from the XSE, the police force of the future, and it's kind of law and order there, and now he's, you know, on this kind of X-Men team, which, you know, are doing stuff, but are still mostly an outlaw team, right? And uh, not, as, not as outlaw as X-Force at this point in time, but, I mean, definitely not sanctioned. They're still vigilantes. Um, so, yeah, just trying to kind of find out how he fits in. Um, that issue... Oh, gosh, is it 287? Um... Which one is it? I think it's 287, 285. The cover of Bishop. Like, oh, actually similar to this, but much more ragged by Andy Kubert. Um, let me see if I can find it real fast. It's a really good issue. Uh, it's, it's penciled by Andy Kubert with inks by Bill Sankiewicz, of all things, which is really, it makes it a really interesting combination. Um... My Marvel Wiki app is not going to cooperate. I want to say it's like 286, 287. I, I just read it the other day. I can't believe I can't remember exactly which one it is. But it's a great story. And that's the one that really makes you like Bishop. It really adds dimensions to him. Instead of just this, oh, I'm a tough guy from the future who shoots first and asks questions later. Like, you really get into his motivation and... You know, kind of his emotional attachment to the X-Men. So, anyway, I, why I'm talking about all that, even though we don't officially cover those issues on the episode, because there's no Wolverine in them, um, and it really builds into the excitement of, you know, he's been over there with the gold team, and now he's coming to meet the blue team, and we know he has this relationship with Gambit in the future, and then we see this cover of him shooting Gambit, or at least finding Gambit, you're like, whoa, what is that about? Like, why, you know, was a witness a bad guy? And we'll kind of get into that in this issue. So, here's kind of what happens. Um, Logan is at Xavier's computer lab trying to Google himself. <laughs> he can't find anything. He's getting like a... Uh, an error message, so he's pretty grumpy. Uh, Professor X and Storm are giving Bishop the school tour since he'll be on her gold team under Storm's tutelage. Uh, they introduce him to the blue team minus Logan, uh, which is, some, you know, you know, I don't know if my regular synopsizing is going to work. There's so much in this issue. Because um, there's a scene with Jubilee on the first page where she's trying to get Logan to go to the picnic and he kind of snaps at her, and Cyclops is like, whoa there, and let's, let's just go. Um, you know, and Jim Lee's bishop looks so menacing. He's so broad, and his uniform looks cool, even the, the, the train station, the train conductor Gary Cooper uniform um, with the bandana. It still looks pretty good. Um, and there was some, some tension between Storm and Forge. And Professor X even com commentates on it, like, right, is everything okay with you guys? And she's like, as far as I know. And then, then, so the scene where we meet the blue team, Bishop is just kind of blown away. He goes, I've seen holograms, holodisc, 
of the original or the old X-Men in the Kelly exhibit, but these images fail in comparison to Cyclops Legends telling you as the first X-Men. And Cyclops says, Hello. I've met Jean Grey, but you must be Dr. Henry McCoy, known as the Beast. Well, he hasn't met Jean Grey. He's, he saw her video. Oh, wait, wait, yes, sorry. He met her in Uncanny, because she's on the other team. Never mind. Uh, um, he says, Dr. Henry, Henry McCoy, known as the Beast, you are Randall's most read philosopher. The Beast is like, gracias. Uh, who's Randall? Next, Psylocke and Rogue, sugar. And you must be Gambit. There's very little written about you. Just the way I like it, he says. And you are Jubilation, the last X-Men. And she's like, really? Cool. And this idea, because this is not the only time this is mentioned in the 90s, this idea that Jubilee outlasts the team in that timeline and is the last X-Men is, is a really cool idea that I like a lot. And I really like Jubilee. And I like the idea that she would be the one that kind of gets away and survives. And even back to her introduction, right? Where, you know, she came back from the mall and snuck around the Australian outback tunnels, like, you know, stealing food and costumes and stuff. And so the idea that, that if the X-Men were betrayed and massacred, she would be able to kind of get away. Also, the thing is interesting is that same motif is used in Old Man Logan, right? And not the same timeline, not the same story, but the idea that when he, you know, is tricked by Mysterio, he massac he's, he betrays and massacres the X-Men. Um, anyway, just an interesting parallel there. Um, but then Gambit starts talking in French, and then he calls Bishop Pup. And... Because Gambit's like, well, if she's the last X-Men, what are you doing here? <laughs> Uh, pup and Bishop remembers because the witness always called him Pup and you know spoke in a Cajun accent and he remembers and connects that the witness is LeBeau and he's like huh and so he gets kind of frustrated and upset now but doesn't quite connect all the dots but he does think okay well I don't have much information on Gambit maybe that's because that information was hidden. And, um... So he says, LeBeau. And Gambit, for whatever reason, gets really upset that Bishop knows his name. Um... But then says, like, you don't say a person's name without permission, which I thought was interesting. Um... But, uh, the... You know, Bishop's like, well, this explains the, the witness's reluctance to share his re recollections regarding Gambit because they're one and the same. And Cyclops gets between them and says, whoa, 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 you're not making any sense. And, um, and Bishop says again, you know, the witness was the last person to see the X-Men alive before they were betrayed by one of their own. And he, he tells Professor X, you have to side scan him and see what is loyalties lie and Storm's like whoa and Rogue is like whoa sugar <laughs> and Professor X is like no I, I can't violate him I can't do that um, you know Gambit has been a very loyal X-Men and has unswerved dedication to us on more than one occasion I'm not going to violate his trust like that but Bishop's really flustered and I think for a good reason right from his perspective 
you know, this is a really good writing and really good story because you really see it from both sides, right? From Vicious' perspective, he knows that Gambit is the witness from his future, from or his present, our future, or possible future. And he knows that he doesn't know anything about Gambit. And now he knows that Bishop and Gambit are the same person. So it's like, what does he have to hide? Is he protecting the traitor? Is he the traitor? Um, so you can see why he's very defensive, very on edge, and very much wanting something to be done. But you also see on the other side, you know, Gambit's been an X-Men for a little bit, not a real long time, in comic time, um, you know, a couple of years in publishing time, but, you know, long enough and has done enough that, you know, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not going to take your word over his, and even Storm pulls Bishop to the side and is like, well, even if you're right, who would you believe if you were us? Gambit, who has proven himself as an X-Man, or you, who's saying from the future, Professor X has side-scanned you and, and validated that you at least believe this, but also, we just met you. And so, why are we going to jump through hoops for what you say is going to happen when it may or may not happen at all, right? Um, so, it's a really interesting, really touching scene. Um, so, then we see Wolverine back in the lab, and Professor X comes down and gets him and says, um, you know, I, I normally respect your need for solitude. If I thought for even a moment it was genuine, Wolf... And he stops himself and says, Logan, it doesn't take an empath to know what you need as a friend. And we get a really cool scene here. Uh, I like, you know, how it plays back and forth between what Jim Lee did with the Omega Red story in X-Men and then what uh, Larry Hammond's doing over in the Solo series. And he goes, Wolverine looks down and he stand, actually stands up and looks down, which is a really nice posture and pose. Um... He goes, I can feel it happening. Every day I feel myself reverting to the headcase I was before I joined this outfit. Finding out half my memories might be bogus was the last straw. Was I a spy, a samurai, or just a sawed-off psycho killer with adamantium claws? And Professor X doesn't immediately comfort him. He says, well, maybe you were all those things and more. But that was your past. Today, you are an X-Man. And surely that must count. For something, and uh, Wolverine's like, "Well, in lieu of a real life Chuck, it'll have to do." Um, and that's not the last time we play on the idea. You know, it's always kind of been in the subtext, but you know, it even mentioned before, right? But really, in this storyline, particularly, playing on the idea of the X Men as a family, and that you know, whatever Wolverine has been through or done, and whatever he's tried to figure out, he's not alone. He has the X Men as family, which is you know, pretty cool. Um, so then, let's see, where am I in my notes? Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, so, you know, everyone says, calm down, go to the picnic. Um, at the picnic, Scott lust after Psylocke in that scene, which made all the 13-year-old boys scream in 1992. Actually, I was 14, and I, I remembered this scene, um, this the the very oft scene, kind of infamous scene of Jim Lee drawing Psylocke coming out of the 
pond, I guess, because there's like the cat tails things around her and the weeds and stuff. And um, she comes out with her skimpy bathing suit and her, her boobs all ready to hang out. And she's got her arms behind her head and water dripping off. And yeah, um, Horn Dog Jason in 1992 was like, yeah, okay, yeah, give me more of this. Um, and Cyclops also wants more of this. And, you know, there's a close-up of Psylocke as she kind of runs her hand over the open part of the bathing suit on her chest. And, and Scott's like, and like starts drooling. Um, and Jean's trying to say, you know, that the professor hasn't really, is not really dealing with or being you know, emotionally healthy about, you know, being re-paralyzed and back in the chair after his time where he had use of his legs. And Scott's like, well, you know, I, I think, I think that the, uh, the Charles professor guy, uh, I think the professor is, um, doing the, that in, uh, just perfect. <laughs> and he literally, like, almost like Homer Simpson drools, perfect as he's staring at Cyclops' cleavage um, and Gene hits him with a little telekinetic stinger and says excuse me and he's like Gene and she's like oh you remembered I'm flattered and Cyclops starts drying herself off and winks at Cyclops and um sorry my mind must have been elsewhere and Gene's like the gutter and he's like sorry <laughs> there's a really funny scene because Storm and you know, everyone's kind of dressed down except for Bishop, who's still in full XSC uniform. And, um, and he kind of talks about what he talked about in that issue of Uncanny. You know, you know, I spent all my time tracking down and executing mutant outlaws. And, um, you start thinking, and he's looking at a ladybug and a flower, and he says, you know, you start thinking it's all about humans and mutants. And Storm is with him. She's like, well, I hope not. You know, there's all this great creation around us. And, um, she says, you realize, of course, your days as judge, jury, and executioner are over. Um, and Bishop says, I know, but it's hard because it's not that I was above the law. That's not what it was. It's that I was the law. Um, then we get, Gene! And a big sploosh. Uh, a Sylvester-ish uh, cartoon caption. And Bishop's like, Cyclops is under attack, and he grabs his gun and rushes over, and Storm's like, Oh no, it's just a lover's quarrel. They can handle it. You don't need to go in guns and blazing that. We need to make that not your first instinct so much anymore. And he's like, well, you know, it's really interesting because I won't apologize for being prudent in my era, you know. But the storm says, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to build a world that's better than the future. Maybe prevent your future. And Bishop's like, is it possible? And Storm says, well, if it's not, this is all pointless. That's what the X-Men are about. And, you know, kind of gives them a lecture on we're not, we don't sink down to the level of the bad guys. And, um, so with that, Rogue and Gambit are at the picnic, and and Rogue is in her Jim Lee Skippy. So Gambit's in, like, jeans and cowboy boots and a black t-shirt. And then Rogue is in some Daisy Dukes and flip-flops. And it's not really a bikini. It's like a really just barely covered the the breast and then 
wraps around her arms like halter top kind of thing um you know this is generally being his sexiest in this issue um but she talks about how it's really interesting it talks about she's been making gumbo all day but then the the point that she has is obviously like some cajun grilled fish um with some some beans and rice maybe some etouffee under there um not gumbo but um anyway um you know they're flirting together pretty hardcore and gave us like it might be worth it to touch you and lose myself whatever and Rogue's like, no, no, and she runs away, and Gambit chases her, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really sweet scene, um, but Rogue literally, like, runs into Bishop's chest and falls over, um, and Bishop's like, sorry, and Gambit's like, it's only been ten minutes, Monami, and already I know I don't like you much, and Rogue's like, as in at all, and Rogue's like, and Bishop's like, I'm devastated. I was hoping we'd be friends with Bo, seeing as how I'm going to be following, following your every move. You know, I figure out exactly what it is you're up to. And Gambit's like, well, that may be a while. Take your best shot now. And Rogue's like, whoa, 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 calm down. And he goes, well, what are you waiting for? And he, posts, he pokes Bishop in the chest. Bishop says that and punches him. And he punches him again, and they argue and yell and... Gambit, or Bishop literally punches Gambit into Rogue, knocking her off into the pond, which makes her pretty mad. Then Gambit uh, charges some pebbles and dirt and throws it at Bishop. Um, and somehow he knows already, even though he just said I've only known you 10 minutes, uh, that, that Bishop can absorb and return energy, but not projectiles. And so that's why he throws the dirt at him or whatever. And then they argue some more. And uh, Gambit, in the very famous scene, grabs the pie and charges it and throws it. But he misses Bishop. Bishop ducks. And it hits Rogue in the face. And Gambit's like, oops. And she's like, oops. Oops. I made all this food. Blah, blah, blah. And all you got is oops. And, um... You know, and there was, well, sorry, I don't want to completely pass over, you know, because this is like our Gambit sub-podcast here, right? Because, um, you know, he throws dirt and he picks up the pie and Bishop pulls a gun. And they're like, whoa, wait a second, you're going to, I have a pie and you have a gun. That's not quite right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, after Rogue gets really mad because the pie blows up in her face, so I guess Gambit didn't really charge it that much. Um it kind of brings liberty, enlightens the situation because Bishop and Gambit both start laughing at Rogue's expense. And, um, but, it, you know, it, it kind of defuses the fight. So, that's pretty good. It definitely cuts the tension. So, Rogue makes a good argument to a uh, not-minority report Gambit. Uh, basically, you can't hold him responsible for a crime you say he hasn't committed yet. And then they get shot with some energy, and it's Belladonna. She shows up. Um, she needs Gambit to come back home. So the blue team are off to Nolens. Um, and the sheriff from James Bond pulls over the Ghost Rider for speeding. So basically we find out that uh, Belladonna is Gambit's wife, which obviously upsets Rogue. Um... And then they, they decide they're going to go back to New Orleans. They, we get a little bit of past. 
with the uh, the Assassin's Guild and the Thieves Guild and how Gambit had the arranged marriage with Belladonna, but then he killed her brother-in-law, so to keep the peace, he exiled himself. Um, and the X-Men are like, again, we're family. We're going with you. You say it's a family affair? We're going with you. And so I don't know if you remember, so I don't remember exactly which James, I think it was more than one James Bond movie, that had like the Louisiana cop is like, like, whoa! And like, you know, the big doofus and, you know, James Bond speeds by into spy cars and I think he pulls over Jaws, maybe, in one of the movies. that Anyway, um, this is obviously an homage to that. And we see 120 on the speedometer or on the radar gun and he chases down in his Ghost Rider riding into New Orleans and Ghost Rider, like, gives him a not the pennant stare, just like a Ghost Rider stare and he, like, the sheriff, like, drops his cigar and, like, runs off scared. And then Ghost Rider's like, Rawr! and rides into town. And setting up the next story. Um. So, yeah. Um. I, oh, one thing I missed in there, I wanted to comment. Um. So, Gam, uh, Bishop, I keep saying Bishop, or keep saying Gambit when I mean Bishop. Uh, Bishop refers to Cyclops as the greatest X-Men leader. And Storm's like, well... <laughs> and I got you know with, with Storm being my favorite X-Men leader I gotta I gotta agree with that that she bristles at that um but yeah um other than that this issue has it all great art great story like I said great downtime and great drama and conflict without having an actual bad guy um I loved it just as much as I did then you know not for all the same reasons. Um, don't really need the horn dog stuff in my comics as a 42-year-old guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, that part, maybe not as exciting. But, but man, it's just really, really good. There's, there's really, really good stuff in this issue. Um, and, and it kind of ties in this book to the Wolverine book, with Wolverine kind of on a mission to discover himself, but also not being by himself. So kind of reconnecting him in that search for answers to his X-Men family, I think it's a very important linchpin. So I, you know, as a Wolverine fan, also really enjoyed this, even though he doesn't do a whole lot in this issue. And he will in the next couple, so make up for it. Um, but yeah, no, I... Uh, man, this is a great issue. I still love it a lot. So X-Men number eight, I'm going to give six out of six claws. Um, yeah, I love it. So... That last page leads us into our crossover, which is going to take us to Ghost Rider number 26. So this is um, the beginning of a three-part story between the X-Men and the Ghost Rider, the 90s crossover that had to happen. And this is Blood Feud, uh, going to be written by Howard Mackey, uh, penciled by Ron Wagner this time, uh, Inked by Mike Witherby, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Gregory Wright, and the cover is by Jim Lee and Scott Williams. And, and the cover's fine. I mean, for Jim Lee, it's actually a little underwhelming. Um, it's basically the X-Men, like, tied up in some gay women. By I mean the X-Men, the most popular X-Men in the 90s, uh, besides Bishop and Cable. Uh, who are 
on a meteoric rise at this point. Um, but you have Cyclops, Gambit, and Wolverine um, tied up in the back. And then Ghost Rider writhing in pain, turning into an alien. Um, you know, that's what I'll say, not knowing the story. Obviously, we know it's the brood. Um, and it, it's fine. It's a little sketchy for Jim Lee, which is also okay, but it's... it's in an era where we have a ton of awesome Jim Lee covers, including two right after this, um, it's a little underwhelming. It's, it's not as good as the other ones, in my opinion. Alright, so, we have this Assassin's Clan killer who basically looks like Shadow Venom, um, and he's stalking the members of the Thieves Guild. Uh, Ghost Rider just happens to be in New Orleans looking for Johnny Blaze and his traveling circus. Uh, because Dan Ketch has been mortally wounded um, and he's afraid to change back to his human form until he figures out what's going on. He's kind of, he's also kind of like lost his rapport with Dan Ketch. So he knows Dan Ketch is in there somewhere and his soul's in there. But he can't really like connect to it the way he normally does and he's worried. Um, so it, also a funny scene, he gets a compliment on his costume for Mardi Gras. Um, by another guy in a different skull mask. He's like, well, how'd you get to stay on fire without hurting you? Blah, blah, blah. It's fun. Um, so after avoiding the highway patrol, the X-Men roll into town. Uh, the same, a different cop. I think that guy got scared off, and this guy talks about his partner uh, missing all the fun. Um, so Ghost Rider witnesses the thief killer kill a pregnant couple, um, which is pretty sad. Um, and after, but after a skirmish, the assassin escapes. But Ghost Rider tells him to the assassin hideout in the New Orleans uh, cemeteries. Um, and we find out the assassin killed is overrun by the brood. The X-Men also find the body of the pregnant thief. Um, Wolverine picks up some familiar scents, friendly and foe, and they track the sense to the assassin lair where they also discover the brood as well as a possessed ghost rider. So, like I said, the, the assassin guy looks pretty cool. It's like, like a, a cross between like a shadow creature and venom and he even like licks the blood off his claws. You know, his tongue's kind of venom-esque as well. Um, so Wolverine and the X-Men are very rude to the highway patrolman, almost unnecessarily so. Like, Instead of trying to get out of the ticket, like Wolverine, like, gives him the middle finger claw with a snick, and then cuts his gun in half, and then Cyclops, like, often, or Jubilee blinds him, and then Cyclops, like, blasts his tires, <laughs> so he can't follow him, and then Gambit charges an ace of spades and blows up his car, um, you know, all because <laughs> this guy pulled him over for speeding, um, yeah. And so, uh, that's interesting. Um, they could have maybe handled that a little better, or a little differently, but, uh, that's what they did. Um, so, I do want to say, when Ghost Riders ride into the alleys, we get a view of the French Quarter, and I'm pretty sure it's the place that we stayed the last time we were there. Uh, you know, if you don't remember, or haven't heard before, Janice is from... Uh, she was born in New Orleans and grew up in New Orleans and Baton Rouge uh, before they moved to Houston when she was a teenager. Um, 
So I've been to New Orleans once before, and then we went back with her, because I really wanted to get it from her perspective, uh, a couple of summers ago. And I'm pretty sure this, if, if Wagner did research and got like a real building, or if he didn't, either way, I'm pretty sure we stayed in that, that hotel that we see, that Ghost Rider drives by. And I'll try to find or remember to post some side-by-sides of the art and a picture that I have of the same... It's like the same, like, decorative railing and the, the big, long, vertical, like, window doors. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so, I had a question about whether the breed could possess the Ghost Rider. I mean, they did, so obviously they can, but should they be able to? And... I don't know. I don't need someone who's more of a ghostwriter expert than me to maybe answer that. So if that's any of you guys, let me know what you think about, and it's kind of the crux of this story, is that the breeder able to possess his body, which is already possessed. And of course, breed possession is a little bit different, right? They, like, do the egg. They implant the egg. So I don't know. So there's, But there's three things competing. For, so you have ghostwriters and spirit of vengeance, Dan Ketch and the Brood all kind of competing for the Ghost Rider's attention, if you will. Um, and these Assassin Guild's costumes are 90s to the max. They're like black with like teal and purple and then like neon green hair. They all have neon green hair. It's so like 90s, like... Actually, it's G.I. Joe Dreadnought is what it is. The Dreadnoughts. Um, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um... Anyway, speaking of being a horned dog, Wolverine is a super horned dog at Mardi Gras. And they get out of their car in the French Quarter, which, by the way, good luck parking in the French Quarter at Mardi Gras. But anyway, um, Wolverine's like, I do love New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And he lights up a cigar as this lady walks by in a very skimpy bikini with tassels on the nipples and like a wild headdress. And she's wearing, like, next to nothing. And Wolverine's like, oh, I love Mardi Gras, hubba hubba. <laughs> so Wolverine's being a horn dog for sure. Um, and we get a really, really fun scene of Rogue and Belladonna comparing notes on Gambit. Um, you know, they had flown ahead of the other X-Men. And, uh, yeah. And so Wolverine's like, well, what did you find out? And she's like, well, apparently as a moment, it's, I meant about the assassins. And he's chopping on a cigar. And Gamma's like, ooh. <laughs> it's like, yes, it's our city. We'll lead the way. That's pretty cool. Um, and they find the dead, the dead thieves. And Belladonna's very upset. Uh, and the whole, like, broken alliance, right? Like, there's been a, a, a peace between the thieves and the assassins. And now suddenly it's not peaceful. And so, um, yeah. So Wolverine jumps in and they see the possessed assassins and Wolverine's like, well, forget who you knew. Best of, best of thing of these things is the killers of your family and start killing some bugs. So very Wolverine. Um, and he's like, ooh. And they see the ghost writer. He's like, this is bad. You know, I, I recognize some scents. We saw the brood. Confirmed that. I thought the other scent might be a friend, might help us fight the brood. Yeah, it turns out that's not going to happen. Because he is the brood. Um, and the last page reveal an ugly Ghost Rider brood with like gnarly 
sp bone spikes and stuff. Um, and the queen behind him. Uh, pretty menacing page. So, the story's pretty good. I really enjoyed the X-Men and Ghost Rider kind of running parallel as they're about to interact. Um, and the art's pretty good. I mean, we're about to read Jim Lee, so it's not that good. <laughs> but it's not bad. I mean, it's pretty good. Um, kind of typical, like, 90s Marvel art, um, if that makes sense, if you read a lot of art. If you read a lot of Marvel in the 90s, you know, each era kind of has, like, almost a distinct house style. Uh, in the early 90s, definitely had kind of your guys who didn't all draw the same, but drew very similarly. You know, you had, like, the superstar artists and then, like, the rest, right? And I don't <laughs> don't mean to say, like, Ron Wagner's the rest, but he's uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's good art, but it's definitely not as unique or sticking out. Um... But anyway, I'm going to give Ghost Rider 26 5 out of 6 claws. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, not as much. The art maybe could have been a little better for me. But not much better. I mean, it's, it's really good. Alright, so that's going to take us to X-Men number 9, which is Death Beneath New Orleans on the cover with Wolverine versus Ghost Rider. So this is... Um, the not so big easy, which I get what they're saying is you know New Orleans is a big easy, and they're saying not so easy, but they're saying the not so big easy makes it sound like it's not so big, which is <laughs> weird. Um, but anyway, uh, Jim Lee doing plot and pencils again, uh, Scott Lobdell doing the script again, uh, Lee and T Bear doing the finishes again. Uh, Tom Ward's casting on the letters. But this time with an assist from someone, Boo Hollis, no first name given. And then Joe Rosas does the colors. And on the cover, we have an awesome cover of Wolverine versus Ghost Rider, which is not necessarily what we get on the inside, but, um, you know, it's still pretty fun. And, um, yeah, an iconic cover. If you read this stuff in the 90s, you remember it well. It's, um... Wolverine jumping at Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider's hands at his throat, kind of falling down together as they fight. Uh, Ghost Rider's chain starting to wrap around Wolverine. Wolverine, of course, has his claws out. Uh, Ghost Rider's holding his face up, and Wolverine's got a claw back about to strike. Uh, it's a really, really great cover. <clears throat> so in this issue, um, as the X-Men and Belladonna fight Ghost Rider and the Brood, the floor uh, caves into this massive underground labyrinth that, you know, you know, the kind every major city has. It's just massive network of underground tunnels. Um, so as Wolverine and Beast tackle the Brood Rider, they realize he's trying to fight the possession. So as the fight continues, we find out the Brood are really after the thief assassin children uh, because of some way they were raised. Um, and we don't really find that out in this story at all. I don't remember if we come back to it. But um, when there's some genetic secret, and even when they start to say it, Gambit like cuts them off and says, no, 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 don't be sharing no family secrets, Siri. Um, but yeah. Um, so he definitely interrupts it. And then Psylocke and Belladonna go into the Brood Rider's mind, into his psyche, 
where they find that Danny's essence and free him from the brood. So the brood is trying to attack Danny's essence inside the Ghost Rider and like bond on a spiritual level as well as physical. Um, but then they destroy the brood in the astral plane, which reverses the Ghost Rider's transformation. Unfortunately, this seems to kill Belladonna as she exhausted all of her mysterious powers. She keeps saying, oh, I had this accident and got all these powers and I haven't really tested what they all do yet, haven't found a limit yet. Um, but apparently this was it. This was the limit. Um, and so she apparently seems to die. Uh, dying in Gamma's arms, he professes his true love for her, which Rogue overhears. So I'm looking forward to that drama in the future. Because um, she says, you know, because she's upset because she's like, you know, when you, I understand why you left. I don't understand why you didn't take me with you. Or we could have been exiled together. And Gambit gives in this whole thing like, you know, we loved each other as children and as teenagers. And I wanted to marry you. But then I was forced to marry you. And didn't know how real it was. And then after the fight with your brother, you know, and I killed him and I had to leave to keep the peace. I didn't want you to come with me. I wanted you to basically have a life of choice. Or I wanted to make a choice on my own. Kind of that, you know, the, the, I'm a guy and I gotta, I can't just take things. If, if it was not my choice, it's not mine. And I want something else. And I choose. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, I don't identify a whole lot with that. I think if a good thing is a good thing, then, you know, you celebrate it and revel in it. But um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so, so but, but he basically says, you know, I, I've always loved you, I still love you, you know, you're my true love, and Rogue's like, what? <laughs> um, so then Gambit gives her body, Belladonna's body, to the guild, and Ghost Rider and the X-Men prepare to avenge her death and rescue the children. Um, alright, so... On our splash page, there's a fun part where uh, Jubilee's... There's a kind of a running gag where Jubilee's stepping like a Varugu is grossed out about it. Um, and so as they're seeing Ghost Rider Brew, and she's obviously very deservedly scared, she's like, color me curious, but does anyone know if I'm too young to join the New Warriors? Which is a nice kind of 90s crack. Um, there's also a part where the Brood Queen <laughs> calls the X-Men and she goes... My apologies, ex-mammals. Which is <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and then Wolverine refers to Ghost Rider as uh, Bones and Brimstone. <laughs> so it's like Lobdell being pretty clever and witty, as he is when he's a good writer. And I, as far as I remember, have good memories of his 90s stuff being pretty good. So I found it pretty fun. Um... In fact, to the point, there's, so there's another gag, so, um, Ghost Brood Rider is about to attack Jubilee, and Jubilee's like, ah, and Beast jumps in and kicks him in the face, like a jumping, flying kick, and, uh, Jubilee's like, ah, show off, I was just about to do that, and Beast is like, oh, I'm certain, fact is, I was sitting over there thinking, what would Jubilee do in my place, and, you know, throughout this whole story arc and this X-Men run in general the adjective was X-Men run I, you know compared to modern times 
I forgot what it's like to really love the beast. Because this beast is so fun and just... Man, there was a time in his history, in a long time, where he was such a great character. And I'm not saying that the, the complexities and the developments don't make for interesting stories, but he's just really hard to like and pull for now. And back then, like, he's a, you know, he's one of my favorite X-Men of this time. Um, and I, I can't say that anymore. Um, there's also some just obviously really great Jingle Wolverine art. Um, and a great Jingle Gambit art. And just, just great Jingle art. Um, there's a scene of Wolverine, like, jumping into the fray. There's a brain trying to wrap around his leg, and he's got his claws out. And he's actually almost looks like he's puffing his chest as he's, like, diving into the action, but it's a great scene. Um, he talks about stabbing, cutting up the sleezoids, which is always a great brain callback. Um, he's going to go right after the queen. Um, that's where they, the floor falls out. It's a, it's a great scene. Um... There's some good, um, good drama with Rogue and Bella, I'm sorry, with Gambit and Belladonna, you know, talking about, like I said, those choices, and Belladonna's mad at him for, for leaving her, um, you know, like I said, Gambit apologizes, then we get another great page of Beast and Wolverine fighting the Ghost Rider, uh, Wolverine jumping with his bladed claws out, my favorite kind. Um, yeah, just great, great fighting scenes by Jim Lee. Um, so we get an interesting thing, because I talked about the, you know, the infamous swimsuit scene last in issue eight. And we get another scene where, you know, they're in the rubble of the tunnels, and, and Cyclops is pulling Psylocke out, and, um, he goes, Psylocke, give me your hand. And Psylocke goes, my hand, Scott? Separated from the others, just you and I, no one around. And all I can interest you in is my hand. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Betsy? And he's like, I'm Betsy. Um, we got a job to do. My thoughts exactly. I meant finding the others. Uh, so did I. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. Um... I mean, X-Men, soap opera, drama, that's what you're here for, right? I don't mind at all the love triangle. Um, I don't like this period of Psylocke's quote-unquote career, where she's just one note and oversexed. Like, I don't mind her, like, making a move on, on Cyclops. I don't mind that Cyclops is distracted by her hotness and her beauty. Um, and, you know, also her... Being a badass fierce warrior and would be attractive, I would think as well. Um, you know, I don't mind kind of introducing the tension, especially with Gene and Cyclops being on different teams, right? That's going to put a strain on the relationship, and it makes sense maybe that temptation enters the scene. I'm fine with all that. I'm fine with Cy. I'm even fine with Psylocke throwing herself at Cyclops a little bit. But I also really like badass warrior Psylocke. And I just don't know if this situation... Like, I know Lobdell is trying to find his places to put it. But I would prefer maybe a business first, you know, romance, sex, second, Psylocke. Um, but this is very much... Cause, I don't know. Maybe she's just teasing him. 
I mean, that's all it is, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I almost kind of feel like, she's like, well, no, why don't we not go save our friends and have a little hanky-panky? And that doesn't really jive with me. Um, but maybe she's just trying to get under her skin and knows what they're going to do. So, maybe I've been a little too hard on it. Um, anyway. Um, but they repeat the gag when Jubilee. So, like I said, they have the running gag where she's stepping on, like, brood guts and slime and stuff and gets grossed out. And there's another scene where um, she gets attacked again on page 20 on the physical copy. So the brood are coming after her and uh, Psylocke jumps in with a jump kick <laughs> and kicks the brood in the face. And Jubilee again uses kind of the same phrase. She goes, show off. I was just going to do that. And Psylocke, a little less flamboyantly is very very matter of fact oh I'm certain <laughs> where beasts use flowery language Psylocke is very short and terse which fits her character especially at this period um with some of the things we're going to find out about her soon um yeah I thought it was a brilliant use a couple of running gags there brilliant use of that um yeah and so like I said we go through the kind of the astral fight and then we see the X-Men kind of in a team pose as Belladonna dies. And you almost see, you see the energy like leave through her eyes. Um, and so, you know, that's where we, so yeah, uh, she goes, um, you know, killing up Rude, took everything I got. Where I go, if you had a choice, wouldn't you? And Gambit says, have chosen you, none other Shireen. And that's where, you know, Jubilee's, like, crying because it's, like, such a heartbroken romantic scene. And Rogue's, like, jaw wide open, like, uh-oh. And then um, she says, could have been magic, Remy, as her energy leaves her body through her eyes. And Gamma's, like, it was, Shereen, every moment. Now, I think it's very plausible, right, that, that Gambit, confronted with his wife that he was previously in love with, would have feelings, Right. I think it's very possible for him to cohabit, habitate those feelings with her and his newfound feelings for Rogue, right? And I think now that she is conveniently passed on, um, you know, he can further explore those feelings with Rogue guilt-free. I think he's obviously in a place of deep struggle here, and I, I like that. I think it's, it's well written. Um, and then the last page of Gambit and the X-Men and Ghost Rider getting ready to go hunting down the brood. It's a great page. Um, it, it looks awesome. So the art here is amazing. The story's really, really fun. Um, I'm going to give X-Men number 9 a very solid 6 out of 6 claws. I'm, I'm loving this book right now. Um, just like as much as I did back then. Alright, so this story concludes... In Ghost Rider number 27. So this is Vengeance, Pure and Simple, written by Howard Mackey. Uh, same art team, uh, Ron Wagner with uh, Mike Witherby on the inks, Janice Chang on the letters, and Gregory Wright on the colors. And can I just say, black letters in dark red text box are hard to read. Don't do that, people. Um, so we have another Jim Lee, Scott Williams cover. This one's better. I like it much better. 
Um, it's just kind of a tomb pose, right? There's like a brood fallen in the foreground, and then the focus of the cover is Ghost Rider, kind of crouched over the brood, and then flanked by Wolverine, Cyclops, Jubilee, and Gambit. It looks great. It's an amazing cover. Um, all right, so in this one, Ghost Rider... Excuse me. Ghost Rider and the X-Men find the Brood Queen's nest and the missing children. Wolverine starts helping cut the kids free from the Brood goo trappings. But Ghost Rider smells vengeance and goes to find the Queen. Gambit gets jealous of Ghost Rider's vengeance and follows. Wolverine gets jealous of Gambit and Ghost Rider and runs behind him. So then goes our trio, our very 90s trio, of Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Gambit. Um, are attacked in the tunnels by Shadow Venom and a gaggle of broodlings. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the X-Men and the kids also get attacked by the brood. Um, our, as our trio of vengeance goes um, to get the upper hand, the brood queen stops by to taunt Gambit that she's going to eat the children. She literally, like, comes in says, Oh, I see you're beating my broods. But because of that, I'm going to go eat your kids. Skadoosh! <laughs> she literally skadooshes off for her snack. Um, the X-Men um, are win. They, they beat the brood just as the queen shows up. But then Ghost Rider chains her up and drags her topside on his motorcycle. Uh, Johnny Blaze shows up and shoots her head off with his Hellfire shotgun. But just to make sure, Wolverine snicks the head in the eyeball, throws it up in the air, and Gambit blasts it with the card. And then Cyclops also optic blasts it. <laughs> and then everyone parts away with happy-ish endings. Um, yeah. So, I mean... Kind of the same as the first chapter. Art's pretty good. Story's really good. Um, we continue the gag of Jubilee stepping in the slime. Um, and uh, Wolverine says, let's do what we do best. Call it Cyclops. Um, you know, it's definitely some tough talking, but it's not egregious. Um, they find the kids. Um, get some nice Wolverine art. Get a nice snicked. And then there's a page. I don't think it's this one. Hold on, what was it? So we, I like our trio of vengeance. There's a really cool page in the middle where Danny catches, trying to catch up, and um, you know we see it pretty often nowadays. There's like a, a central figure, and like a spider web of panels out from him. Um, it's pretty cool. But there's a page, where is it? Oh, yeah, here. So, like, the bottom third of this page, um, where our trio of vengeance all power up. So we have Ghost Rider in the front, like, pulling his chain taut with a cha-chink. And then we have Wolverine popping his claws with a snicked. And then Gambit holding up a card and charging it. It's a really great panel. It was really, really fun. Um, maybe that can be the cover image of the podcast. We'll see. If this is on Marvel Unlimited, I don't know if it is or not. I'm reading my own copy. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
The story gets a little simpler as it goes. Uh, just kind of, they beat the brood, they save the kids, they fight the assassins. Though the shadow guy survives and threatens to come back. Um, and, and this is where Johnny Boys reunites with Ghost Rider. Um, cause I think the next chapter of this starts the rise of the Midnight Suns. Um, but yeah. Um, a good story. Solid art. Not quite Jim Lee, so I've been a little spoiled by the other parts of the crossover and the covers. But, um, yeah, I'm going to give Ghost Rider 27 a very solid 5 out of 6 claws. So, before we move on, we're actually going to stick with Ghost Rider, because Wolverine comes back in issue 29. So, this one is, what's it called... Biting the Hand That Feeds You, uh, written by Howard Mackey, this time pencils by Andy Kubert, inks by Joe Kubert, so that's pretty cool. Uh, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Gregory Wright again. And this time the cover is also by the Kuberts, father and son, Andy with the pencils, Joe with the inks. And we have a, it's an awesome cover, it's really great. Um, again, Wolverine and Ghost Rider fighting it out. Um, Ghost Rider this time has his chains all the way around Wolverine who's taking a slice and we actually see where he sliced part of the jacket and we see the flaming ribs underneath which is always a cool touch. Um, there's a classic Andy Kubert Wolverine pose. Um, he's kind of squatted. He's got one arm back with the claws and the other arm slashing around his, his torso twisting and he's screaming. Um, it's a very, very classic Andy Kubert Wolverine pose. It's a great cover. It looks fantastic. Um, so in this one, the <laughs> story's not quite as good. Um, in Seaside, Connecticut, some thugs try to mug Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze and obviously fail. Um, after they split up, and then we see Wolverine and Beast have been trailing Ghost Rider. Wolverine thinks his scent is off and is worried there may be some residual brood in Ghost Rider. Um, they all fight some powered freelance security guys who were attacking their boss and accidentally killed a neighbor girl, which is why Ghost Rider gets involved, because, you know, avenging the innocent. Um... And then Wolverine was following Ghost Rider, so him and Beast jump in. Um, and after the fight, Wolverine gets a brief scent of Dan, but it flickers. Uh, Ghost Rider admits to Wolverine he feels like he's losing Dan and doesn't know what to do. But that's why he tried to find Johnny Blaze, and they're talking it out. And he also skadooshes away. Um, vengeance is in the wind. <laughs> he's out there. Um... So, there's parts of the story that aren't bad, right? Uh, the personal stuff with, like, Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze and, and even Wolverine's concern, right? Like, he, Ghost Rider smelled off and it wasn't just the Hellfire <laughs> B.O. Um, and he wants to make sure, right? Like, he doesn't want to leave that unresolved. If there's still brood going, stuff going on, he wants to, you know, take care of it as Wolverine can. And plus he says, you know, I haven't had a lot of interaction with Ghost Rider, Right? You know, I have had some. You know, we had that Marvel Comics present story. We had Hearts of Darkness. Um, you know, and then, of course, the Brood story we just had. Um, so he's definitely had some interaction and definitely wants to look out for the kids. So that's all really cool. 
Um, the bad guys are, are dumb. They're just dumb as hell. Um, so did not care for that in the fight. Though some of the fight went fine. I mean, the art's really good. So, you know, we see Wolverine and Ghost Rider and Beast fighting these guys, you know, by the Cuberts, and it looks great. It really does. Um, and that's that's the saving grace of this book is some of the a couple of the personal moments, and then just the art looking fantastic. Um, Cause I'm just trying to find a couple of the highlights here. There's a scene of Ghost Rider crouching and then Wolverine kind of crouching with his claws crossed in front of them, and the Beast standing behind them like about to jump. It's a great panel. It looks really, really good. Um, if this is digital, I'll definitely tweet it out later. So look for that on my Twitter feed once the episode is live. Um, which, if you're listening to this, it already is. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, there's good parts of the story. It looks great. But there's also some really dumb parts of the story. So, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to average it out to a nice 3 out of 6 claws. Alright, so in Halloween Spirit, the next thing we're going to talk about is the infamous Calf-Wolf story. Um, I've heard several Captain America fans talk about how this kind of killed their Captain America love in the 90s uh, to a screeching halt. So I went in with very low expectations, and we'll kind of see what that does. Because this is my first time ever reading it. So, um... It's going to be Captain America. It's going to be six parts, uh, 402 to 407. And um, 402 is written by Mark Gruenwald, with pencils by Rick Levins, inks by Danny Bolinati, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Gina Going. And I'm assuming the cover is Levins. Yeah, it is. Um... A very busy cover. Man and Wolf Part 1 to 6. Captain America. The search for John Jameson begins. We have a, a night sky. A full moon. A werewolf howling in the moon. A tree coming up in front of the moon. To give it that Halloween-y feel. Um, Captain America is very concerned. Head next to the moon. And then a body in the foreground. Um, that the werewolf is obviously attacked. Um, it's okay. It's kind of meh. Um, so there are werewolf attacks in the northeast Wolverine literally sniffs them like we get the scene of the attack Wolverine finds the body later and he puts his finger down pulls up the blood and goes <sniffs> sniff sniff and he smells the blood and that's that's all he does in this issue um so then Cap tapes the leave of absence from the Avengers uh, for two reasons. One, he's mad at the Avengers for the uh, actions in Galactic Storm. Um, I'm sorry, Operation Galactic Storm, where we, there was basically a portion of the Avengers that formed an Avenger hit squad to go assassinate the supreme intelligence of the Kree, and Captain America was very, very upset about that. 
And then when he gets home, he tries to give them a lecture on ethics, and no one really shows up. So he's upset about that, too. So he kind of loses because of that, but also because he wants to find his friends. Diamondback is missing, and a very horrible backup story through all these issues of Crossbones, which I like Crossbones, and I like him being nasty. I don't care for the story. It was just very, very abusive to Diamondback. Um, but anyway... Um, but also, his pilot, John Jameson, is missing. And he wants, so he decides he's going to go look for him, right? Um, he sees the werewolf report on the news and remembers Man Wolf. Uh, so he goes to visit, some people go to visit J. Jonah Jameson, who has not seen his son in years, he says. Um, then he visits Dr. Druin, who agrees to be a supernatural detective buddy. And they go to the woods to try to find evidence of the werewolf attacks, and they get attacked by a she-wolf. But Moonhunter, the werewolf whisperer, snags her. So, I've been enjoying 90s Captain America, by and large, um, and really enjoyed Ron Lim's art. Rick Levins is not a very good departure. His art is very pedestrian, I feel like. Very average. Um, and this story is very meh. It's not terrible in this first chapter. I just kind of like, who who cares? <laughs> it's not very good, not very interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm going to move on before I grade this. I'm going to go ahead and talk about chapters 2 and 3. I feel like they're in a similar vein. Um, which is interesting because, well, anyway, you'll know why when I get to chapter 4. And let me open these up real fast. I don't think the credits change. But let's make sure. Um, no. Not a single change. Uh, the cover for 403 is a yellow background. And Captain America kicking Moon Hunter off of his sky cycle. And then a big arrow that says guest starring Wolverine is Wolverine is using his claws to cut through the cover. And that is that. Um, Alright, so in Man and Wolf Part 2 of 6. Um, Cap chases Moonhunter in a sky cycle race, but falls to the ground after a brief skirmish, witnessed by Wolverine. Um, shadowy Master Villain has reassembled the Moonstone, um, he's been using nightshade to turn people into werewolves with their chemicals, but the stone is also drawing other werewolves to the premises as well, which accounts for the, the werewolf we saw in Chapter 1, which was not one of their werewolves. After Moon Hunter gets it back, he's like, oh wait, this isn't ours. But throw it in the wolf pen anyway. Um, so Wolverine tracked Moon Hunter to Werewolf City, uh, but is attacked by several of them until Moon Hunter shoots him three times and finally gets him to fall over and captures him. Uh, Captain Dr. Druid also tracks the werewolves home where they are also surrounded. So that's that chapter. Um, chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 3 in, in issue 404, I think is also in the same... Oh, this time we have an army of Inkers. In addition to Bull and Nani, we also have Hudson and Chrissing. Um, on the cover, we have a 
very stiff, ugly Wolverine tackling Captain America out through a, a wooden door. Um, his claws are not out, but there's three stripes through the logo of where his arm has been, but he has his hand around Captain America's neck with no claws. Now, his claws are out on the other hand. He's about to attack Captain America with. Um, I'm just saying this is definitely not that Mike Zek cover from that Cap Annual. That was really good. This is a poor man's Cap versus Wolverine cover at the best. Um, so, yeah. So, in this one, issue 404, Dr. Druid helps Cap escape from the werewolf gang. Uh, Nightshade tries to turn Wolverine into a werewolf with her chemicals, but his healing factor won't allow it. So, the big bad guy hypnotizes him instead and sicks him on Captain America. Says, go get him. Um, they fight their way through the town, which should be really awesome, but it's just kind of eh. Um, eventually, Wolverine pins Cap and moves in for the kill before the shadowy mastermind bad guy stops him and takes Cap to his werewolf lab. And that's where we end up. Um, yeah, so this fight by Rick Levins... It's just not that good. It's kind of, kind of bad, kind of stiff. Not really very agile. It's not really very much fun. Um. So, up to this point, we don't actually have Cap Wolf yet. We have all the other werewolf stuff. You know, it's not great by any stretch. I wouldn't even say it's good, but it hasn't been completely terrible. The art is average. And the story's kind of average. Um, I didn't give the first three chapters a very soft three out of six claws. But then we're going to take a turn. Issue 405, where we actually get Cap Wolf, where the, the famous or infamous image on the cover of Cap Wolf holding his shield up in the air, and he's in color, but the werewolf face is all in black shadow, except for the eyes and mouth. Um... Let's see, credits. Uh, oh, by the way, also mad because this issue is called Dances with Werewolves, and I don't appreciate that. Um, so this one is Gruenwald's story, Rick Levins with the inks. Worth mentioning that the... I'm sorry, Rick Levins with the pencils. Worth mentioning that Steve Alexandrov does the inks this time. Uh, Rosen letters going on colors. Um... Yeah, the cover is actually not too bad. I mean, it's kind of silly, but it's not bad. Um, so in this one, you know, I, I would actually say it's the best cover of the bunch of this story arc. Um, so Calf Wolf is a thing now, and not even Dreadman, who's our shadowy bad guy, isn't that a great name? Dreadman, not even his werewolf army, led by Wolverine, can stop him. Um, but he is, for some reason, subservient to Nightshade. So, story. Now that we actually have Calf Wolf, it just gets lame. And the art is worse. I don't know if Levin's, you know, was, you know, kind of feeling the fatigue of the six-part story at this point, or if the change in inks, but the art is worse than it has been. And I really kind of hated this issue. Um, don't really like anything that happens. There's another skirmish between Wolverine and Calf that looks terrible. First of all, Calf looks like a 
more like a German Shepherd wolf than a werewolf or a, a were German Shepherd. Um, you know, I, I understand that he's white because his, his fur would match his hair color, but I don't know. Wolverine looks so terrible. It looks so bad. This art's so terrible. Um, I'm going to give this issue one out of six claws. The w best cover, worst issue. Uh, by far. Um, so, 406, what do we got? Um, credits on this one. Um, this is the leader of the pack. Vroom, vroom. Um, old, old song for you old people. My parents' age song. Um, so we're back to Danny Bolognati on the inks. Everything else is the same. This cover has Wolfpack Attack. We have some action lines in white and yellow. And we have Calf Wolf, flanked by Wolverine, um, Wolf's Bane, Random She-Wolf, and Werewolf by Night. I know because he has the 90s look with the big, big furry ears and the furry mane. And so this Jack Russell for sure is his 90s look to a T. Um, Alright, 406. Um, anyway, it's not a good cover, it's ugly. Um, so Nightshade throws Cap in the kennel, where he becomes the Alpha, or the leader of the pack. We also find out Wolf's Bane was the werewolf captured in part one. But luckily, the bad guys had an extra X-Factor uniform for her to wear. Um, after beating the other Alpha male, who's a white wolf, I uh, wonder who that might be, um, Cap breaks the pack out of jail. By the way, Jack Russell is also there because werewolves. And that's that issue. Really, that's it. Uh, this one also gets one out of six claws. But that's going to move us to the finale. Um, Captain America number 407. Man and Wolf, part six of six. I believe the cover... Well, yeah, I believe the credits, I mean, are the same. Um, this is the Lord of the Wolves. Um, yeah, same, same credits. So on the cover, we have a green background. Um, we have Cable with two guns and his H-vest saying, Back off, face as Calf-Wolf attacks him. The best worst thing about Calf-Wolf is that his toes and fingers because their claws come through the end of the boots and the end of the gloves. Yeah. Um, then Wolverine's in the background because, you know, he needs to be. And Wolf's Bane is also in the background. Uh, it's not a good cover. First of all, he went with the Cable H vest for some reason. And by this point, he didn't need to. Um, and it's just not a good cover. But, you know, Cable, because it's 1992, and Cable is on the rise. His stock is on the rise. Alright, so in this last chapter, here's what happens. There's a full moon on the rise. There's a sacrificial ritual with the reconstituted moonstone that turns Dresden into space, 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 wolf, 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 wolf. Actually, Star Wolf. I like space, 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 wolf, 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 better. Um... Dog fight ensues. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, K 
cable tracks Pharaoh to Wolfsville because if there's anything we know is that cat people love to crash werewolf conventions. So that's why Pharaoh left. Um, but cable, he tracks her down. He's concerned. So he cables his way into the dog pound and shoots it. Space, 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 space. Wolf, 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 wolf. Jack Russell throws cap wolf his shield and the crowd goes wild uh calf wolf attacks cable because he hates h vest and space 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 wolf 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 captures them with carpet no that's what i said he captures them with carpet they're laying down he uses his new space 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 wolf 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 powers to pull the carpet up from the ground, rolls it up like a Looney Tune burrito, and they're stuck in the carpet. Cannot make this up. So a secret white wolf, guess who, uh, captures Nightshade and uses her own chemicals on her tra to transform her into a werewolf so that she will in turn be forced to make an antidote for all the other werewolves. Uh, Moon Hunter sets Wolverine free, Dr. Druid sets Moon Hunter and Wolverine mentally free of Space 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 Wolf Wolf Wolf's influence. Uh, Wolverine sneaks into the party room and cuts Cable and Cap Wolf out of the carpet burrito. Um, you could say he cut a rug. Cable and Wolverine uh, softball special Cap Wolf into Space 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 Wolf Wolf Wolf's midsection. Calf Wolf grabs the Moonstone out of Space, 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 Wolf, Wolf, Wolf's collar and throws it to Cable, who stomps it back into Moon Dust. Space, 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 Wolf, Wolf, Wolf then turns back into normal old Dreadman, and we're done? Question mark? Ends a little sudden. Um, I really thought I was going to get to have a fun synopsis where we ended with, and by the way, John Jameson was here the whole time. And maybe we'll get, get that in issue 408. Uh, I think we do. Um, I'm pretty sure that white wolf that's a little bit smarter than the other werewolves is John Jameson. Um, but we don't find that out in this issue. And Cap doesn't turn back into a man in this issue. Um, I'm guessing that happens in 408. But we will find out later because I'm going to wait and read that when we do Infinity War. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. Alright, this issue was dumb, and it was terrible, and bad, but it was so dumb, it was almost fun, but not quite. I'm going to give it two out of six clauses, better than the previous two chapters. So, so Calf Wolf, the build-up and the werewolf stuff is bad, but it's not terrible. When Calf Wolf actually turns into a werewolf himself and we get the infamous Calf Wolf, that part is terrible. But then we have this wackadoodle last issue that's not quite terrible. <laughs> I think the arc overall, if I'm going to rate the... I mean, I already did the individual pieces. If I was going to do the whole story, I would say it's probably a 2 out of 6. With Wolverine's involvement being a one or zero. There's no reason for Wolverine to be here. Um, at all. And it's funny that Wolf's Bane is here because she was a werewolf and she was drawn like a magnet to the new Wolf's, uh, to the new Moonstone. 
and you know, and Jack Russell shows up, and John Jameson shows up. The very intentional connection to a feral, which is really just an excuse to pull Cable in the story, because she doesn't even do anything. She literally like gets shot with a trank dart by Cable outside the complex so that he can go be part of the story. It, <laughs> that's really a stretch. Um, and it's really pretty dumb. But Anyway, that's that. That's going to be our, our flashback Halloween episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We covered a lot. Um... I don't know, I thought it was pretty fun. I, I had fun talking about it. We, you know, we had wizards, we had demons, aliens, we had werewolves. What else could you want for a Halloween special? So, there you go. Um, I don't actually know what will be next. Probably some new new comics again as we do some more Ten of Swords with our S-Words coverage with the Excalibros. But, um, I don't know. Next flashback episode is going to be another doozy. It's going to be Shattershot, which I have a lot of reading to do between now and then. Those annuals have a lot of pages. Um, but yeah, that'll be the next one. And, you know, I want, for listeners, cross-listeners, who also listen to uh, the Cable Guide podcast, Grant has teased, you know, maybe talking, because he kind of mentioned Catwolf and Shattershot, Shot, Shattershot, Shattershit, um, kind of just mentioned them on his show, and then said he, you know, might have a chance to talk about them in more detail. We had talked about doing those stories together, that's also when I planned on doing those stories as their own episodes, <laughs> and when I planned on doing them, you know, into November and possibly December, um, so, if you were looking forward to him talking about those with me, maybe I can still have him send in some notes or some feedback, but, um, because I had to jam a lot more stuff together so that I can have a better, more fun conversation with him about Executioner's song, totally worth it, um, you know, had to, had to change some plans. So, uh, apologies if you were looking forward to that with Grant, but, um, you can always go listen to more episodes of his show. The last couple have been really, really good. Um, as he, I really enjoyed him covering Blood and Metal, uh, the Cable miniseries, because I had, you know, some thoughts and questions and wanting to remember how stuff tied together. He did a really good job with that miniseries. Um, so definitely go check that out. Um, you know, I mentioned the Scalrows a couple of times. Go check that out. Um, I am participating in the Crossing Swords. For Ten of Swords, go check out Homo Superior, X Reads Podcast, Comic Book Queers, and uh, House of X Podcast. All those guys, go check them out as well. Um, I think that's going to do it for this episode. So, everyone, please stay safe out there. Um, this should drop on Halloween. So if you're listening to it, quote-unquote, on time, uh, give you another reminder to go vote um, in the next couple of days as Election Day. So go go do that. I think most states' early voting is closed. I know for Texas we closed. Uh, actually, today, as I'm recording this, um, or finishing recording this. Um, so yeah, uh, please you know, definitely do that. Definitely stay safe out there, guys. Stay well. Um, until next time, oh wait, 
my podcast, the podcast that goes snicked. I mentioned, you know, posting panels from the issues on Twitter and stuff. Uh, Twitter is at snickcast. You can like the Facebook page. Show notes and stuff are at podbean, sorry, snickcast.podbean.com. And that will do it. Happy Halloween. Hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.